well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and we are going to be talking about a free state, the free state of Missouri, where uh, over the weekend, the Missouri governor, Brad Parson, signing House Bill 85 into law. This is the Second Amendment Preservation Act, one of many uh, Second Amendment sanctuary uh, uh, bills that have been approved by lawmakers around the country this year. Uh, and as you can imagine, the reaction from uh, anti-gun Democrats, uh, well, they are very, very unhappy that the Second Amendment Preservation Act is now the law of the land in Missouri. Take a look at this headline from the Riverfront Times in uh, St. Louis. The breakaway public republic of Missouri. That's the founder of the uh, Riverfront Times, which is the, the alt-weekly paper uh, in St. Louis, uh, Ray Hartman. Uh, says that this is uh, nothing short of a declaration of war, maybe a declaration of independence. He says, uh, quote, this is about as close to an official Civil War reenactment that the lunatic edition of the Republican Party can get away with in Missouri. Don't bother pointing out that Missouri was technically a neutral state in that war. Folks here don't have time for critical race theory. You can always tell, by the way, that uh, they don't really know what to say about a pro-Second Amendment bill when they start throwing out other stuff like that. Just, just throw everything in the kitchen, kitchen sink at uh, at this topic, and in the hopes that our uh, uh, anti-gun readers will approve. So, what is Hartman's actual objection to this legislation? Well, he says uh, this is part of the culture war. The message very clear to the Biden administration, along with progressives, liberals, moderates, and rational conservatives everywhere, would sooner secede from the union than tolerate such intrusions and indignities as background checks for gun purchases. The Republicans want this civil war so badly that they're raging in far-flung scenarios about the seizure of all guns from law-abiding gun owners, especially white ones, he says. It's about non-existent strawmen and the utterly bogus supposition that the government wants to come for Americans' guns. No matter, he writes, this is pure nonsense. So is the new law. None of that is true, by the way. Absolutely none of that is true. Um, this has nothing to do about seceding from the union. This has nothing to do with uh, far-flung scenarios about the seizure of all guns. Uh, this has everything to do. Actually, this is taking a page from the left. It was, it, 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 who in turn, by the way, took a page from the right. Um, but this is a, the, the continuation of a uh, process in American governments, uh, American governance rather, that has uh, uh, been going on for over two decades now. With the passage of the Brady Bill uh, back in the 1990s, there was originally a mandate of a uh, waiting period and, and then a background check to be conducted by the federal government. Uh, while that background check system was being set up, county sheriffs, local law enforcement, were told that they would have to conduct these background checks for the federal government. And uh, a sheriff said, no, I'm not going to do that. It's not my job. It's not my responsibility. You want this background check system, federal government? Well, you administer it. But I'm not going to administer it. That case, filed by uh, Sheriff Jay Prince, ultimately reached the Supreme Court. Uh, and in a case called Prince versus U.S., the Supreme Court determined that county sheriffs like Jay Prince did not have to conduct background checks mandated by the federal government. They could not block the federal government 
from mandating background checks. They could not prevent the federal government from conducting those background checks itself, but state and local governments were under no obligation to cooperate or enforce federal laws. That's, that's what the Supreme Court said back in the 1990s. And as a result, frankly, of the, uh, the Prince decision, you've had cities controlled by Democrats, even states like California, proclaim that, all right, well, you know what, we're not going to enforce federal immigration law. If, if ICE wants to enforce federal immigration law, then ICE can do so, but we're not going to do anything to help ICE enforce immigration law. And that, too, has been upheld by the courts. Well, this is the Second Amendment version of that. This is the state of Missouri saying, look, we're not saying the federal government can't pass federal gun control laws, but what we are saying is that we're not going to enforce them. If the feds want to enforce federal gun control laws, then they can do it themselves. But we're not going to do that as the state of Missouri, and we're going to bar political subdivisions from enforcing these federal gun control laws, too. As a matter of fact, there's actually a penalty uh, in the Second Amendment Preservation Act signed by Governor Parson of Missouri that uh, allows for individual gun owners to bring suit against localities that continue to enforce federal gun control laws in violation of the act. Uh, and it also allows for charges to be brought against local officials who try to compel law enforcement to continue to cooperate in the enforcement of federal gun control laws. Now, look, Ray Hartman may not like this, but that doesn't give him an excuse to lie about what this bill does. He says, quote, the Second Amendment Preservation Act purports to bar law enforcement officials from enforcing federal gun laws that regulate registration and tracking of firearms. God forbid. It's filled with horrendous parts, quote, nullifying federal gun control laws, such as this beauty noted last week by the Kansas City Star. We'll get to the, that first of all. But again, this isn't about nullifying any federal law. So to me, nullification means um, that you declare that law to be null and void and unenforceable. That's not what the Second Amendment Preservation Act does in Missouri. It recognizes the federal government has the power to establish federal laws, but it also recognizes the power of the state to say, well, we're not going to enforce them. Again, they're not blocking federal laws from being enforced by federal government uh, agents, but they are declining to participate in the enforcement of federal gun control laws. For Hartman to call this nullification, again, is simply a lie. Now, Hartman and the Kansas City Star uh, note, quote, in particular, gun control advocates have focused on what they call the domestic violence loophole that the legislation would solidify. Federal law prohibits gun possession from those convicted of domestic violence misdemeanors, but when Missouri passed a permitless carry law in 2016, sheriffs were no longer conducting background checks. Uh, under the Second Amendment Preservation Act, the federal limitation is one of many gun laws that would be declared invalid in the state. Missouri law only prohibits felons and fugitives from having guns. Well, again, it's not that the law is considered invalid. It's considered up to the federal government to continue to enforce that federal law if the federal government wants to. But the state of Missouri is not going to cooperate in enforcing any federal gun control laws. Now, look, if you believe that uh, all domestic violence misdemeanors should be uh, a, a prohibitory factor, uh, not only at the federal level, but at the state level, Ray Harmon, go talk to lawmakers in Missouri. There's nothing stopping you or lawmakers from changing state law in Missouri. 
other than the fact that a lot of lawmakers would say, and I would happen to agree with them, that we don't get rid of people's rights based on misdemeanor offenses. If something is serious enough that it's going to cause somebody to lose their right to keep and bear arms forevermore, in my mind, you shouldn't be able to do that with a low-level misdemeanor offense. The, the deprivation of rights is a serious thing, and it should only come as a result of serious charges. Now, I'm not saying that domestic violence misdemeanor is a completely unserious charge, but it is a misdemeanor offense. And it is the only misdemeanor offense under federal law that results in the lifetime prohibition on the deprivation of the right to keep and bear arms. I, I have a problem with that. Not because I am soft on domestic violence, but because I do believe that when we lose our rights, it should be for serious things. And a felony charge, I don't believe, is an inappropriate bar. Whereas a misdemeanor offense, I believe, is too low a standard, by and large. All right, Ray Hartman uh, says, uh, Throwing down for the God-given rights of misdemeanor domestic violence abusers is just one of many awful provisions advanced here. For example, local police departments are barred from hiring federal agents who enforce federal gun laws now invalidated by Missouri politicians. Really? 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 And again, if you don't like that, always change the law. Hartman says, this is rare red meat politics in all its irrational glory. And if you don't believe me, consider this dumbfounding statement from Parsons spokesperson Kelly Jones, who says, quote, the governor is aware of the legal implications of this bill, but also that now more than ever, we must define a limited role for federal government in order to protect citizens' rights guaranteed by the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution. This is about empowering people to protect themselves and acknowledging the federalist constitutional structure of our government. Hartman says, I'm sorry, but uh, you lost me in the part about the governor being aware of the legal implications of this bill. I believe this is politician speak, circa 2021, for the following. We're aware that our attempt to subvert the plain language of the U.S. Constitution Supremacy Clause is patently unconstitutional, but we want it to be known that we don't like that clause. Uh, and again, Ray Hartman, you're wrong. This recognizes the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution, but it also recognizes that the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution does not compel state or local governments to become uh, uh, unwilling agents of the federal government in enforcing federal laws. And if that was the case, then you wouldn't have illegal immigrant sanctuary cities. You wouldn't have California as a sanctuary state for illegal immigration. Again, the left does this too, which is something that nobody on the left, including Ray Hartman of the Riverfront Times in St. Louis, wants to acknowledge when it comes to Second Amendment sanctuaries. They want it to, uh, to they, they, they really do want to create this narrative of all oh, these crazy right wingers, what they're trying to do, they're trying to subvert the Constitution. No, they're really not. In fact, you know, I, look, there have been uh, over a dozen. Uh, Second Amendment sanctuary uh, legislation uh, bills that have been introduced uh, around the country in state, in, you know, state houses. I'm not talking about the counties, not talking about the, uh, the towns that have passed their own resolutions. I'm talking about actual legislation that have been introduced in state houses. And they vary. Some are really good. 
Some are not so good. I think the one in Arizona that uh, was signed by Governor Ducey earlier this year is completely unenforceable, uh, almost entirely symbolic. Missouri's actually is pretty good. And I had my objections to how this bill was written uh, as it was introduced because I felt like it would actually have some some legal trouble in terms of standing. I think it, it, it did go too far. It did try to challenge uh, the ability of the federal government to actually pass gun control laws, which, look, that's a fine argument to make. But Supreme Court precedent being what it is, it's also going to be a real uphill climb uh, to take on the federal government's ability to pass any sort of gun control laws whatsoever. So recognizing the legal limitations, uh, lawmakers in Missouri put together what I think is a Second Amendment sanctuary bill that has some teeth to it. And by the way, I think that it is on solid legal ground. Uh, it's not, again, an attempt to nullify federal gun control laws. It is not an attempt to uh, declare some sort of a cultural civil war. Uh, it is an attempt, and I think a successful attempt, uh, by lawmakers in Missouri, including the governor, to tell the federal government, look, you can pass these gun control laws. Actually, I mean, you can't right now because you don't have the votes. But if you could pass these gun control laws, don't think that we are going to roll over and just acquiesce and accept the fact that you are going after the law-abiding citizens' right to keep and bear arms because we are not going to be a party to that. That's what this bill says. Federal government, you can pass whatever you want, but we are not going to be a party to any attempt to infringe on the right to keep and bear arms. And if Ray Hartman or any other anti-gun politician has a problem with that in the state of Missouri, the answer is to oppose this bill, to run for office saying you're going to try to repeal it, and let the chips fall where they may. I, I don't think you're going to be successful. Because I think the will of the voters in Missouri is to protect the right to keep in bear arms, not to cooperate with the Biden administration or any future administration that decides uh, the way to uh, address public safety is by restricting the rights of citizens to exercise their constitutionally protected rights. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We will stop there, start there, as a matter of fact. Case out of Delaware, suspected of three robbery murders in three weeks. Keith Gibson released from a Delaware jail in April. Police have linked him to at least three more killings. Yeah, and by the way, Delaware, another one of those places where they are trying to pass all kinds of uh, local gun control laws, as a matter of fact, uh, in Delaware, there is a bill right now that before you could legally own a gun, you would basically have to take the eight-hour concealed carry course. You would have to uh, send, I believe it's 100 rounds downrange. It's going to be difficult for people to even acquire 100 rounds of ammunition at this point in time. But again, they want to put more barriers between you and your right to keep and bear arms. Meanwhile, violent criminals, <laughs> they are busy removing barriers between violent criminals and their freedom. So this is from the morning call. Keith Gibson, who was in custody in a Delaware jail in April, was being described by his probation officer as the prime suspect in the shooting death of his mother in Philadelphia, PA. But he wasn't charged in her killing, and he was released later that month. In the following weeks, Keith Gibson allegedly went on a crime spree that left three people dead. The 39-year-old was arrested last Tuesday in Wilmington, North Carolina. 
uh, on robbery charges. Authorities say that additional charges are pending. Police in Philadelphia and Delaware have linked them with at least half a dozen killings so far this year. A review of what happened in the Delaware courtroom, however, raises questions, the morning call writes, about the decision to release Gibson, who is to be charged in the uh, June 5th murder of a Duncan manager in Philadelphia. Probation officials first filed a violation against Gibson in February after his mother was found dead. They alleged that he was in Philadelphia, which violated the terms of his release of a 2010 manslaughter conviction. In an April court hearing, probation officers described Gibson as having a, quote, very extensive history of violence and recommended that a judge sentence him to six and a half years in prison. Two weeks later, Gibson's public defender told that judge that Gibson had community support and had job prospects if he were to be released immediately. Uh, Jason Miller, who's a spokesperson for the Delaware Department of Corrections, said probation officers did not object. And so a judge sentenced Gibson to 30 days and granted him time served, meaning meaning that he was released that very same day on probation. Less than three weeks after he was released, 28-year-old Leslie Lizette Basio, an employee of a Metro PCS store in Ellesmere, Delaware, was fatally shot during a robbery. Investigators there say that Gibson may be the perpetrator. June the 5th, Christine Lugo, 41-year-old manager of a Duncan, shot dead in the course of a robbery. An arrest warrant has been approved to charge Gibson with murder in the killing. They also believe that Gibson is linked to the fatal shooting of a man during a robbery earlier the June 6th uh, in Delaware, as well as two more robberies in Delaware last week. Yeah. Gibson's Delaware probation officer wrote in papers submitted to the judge back in April that Gibson has, quote, documented anger issues and a lengthy criminal history that includes nine felony convictions and more than a dozen probation violations, the most serious of which was a manslaughter conviction following a 2008 robbery and fatal shooting of a man in Wilmington, Delaware. He was imprisoned for more than a decade for that crime. He was paroled in June of last year. This is a guy who, again, well-known to law enforcement, on law enforcement's radar at the time, and yet was allowed to walk free from a courtroom when he could have gone to prison for six and a half years for violating his probation. Prosecutors wanted that six and a half year sentence. Probation officers, however, in Delaware were apparently silent. The probation officer initially recommended that the judge sentence Gibson to six and a half years in prison. But again, when it came time to object to what the public defender wanted, the probation office was silent. By the way, in addition to the killing of his mom, and the three robbery-related homicides in May and June, authorities say that Gibson is a suspect in a double homicide in January, in which uh, two men were found dead in the back of a store in North Philadelphia. Keith Gibson could have been behind bars. Lives very well may have been saved as a result. But instead, in Joe Biden's Delaware, this uh, repeat violent felon was given a slap on the wrist, was sent on his way, and police say, again, he is uh, now, they believe, responsible, or at least a suspect, in at least three more murders since he got out with time served. All right, today's armed citizen story from uh, Colorado, Douglas County, where a uh, shooting inside a home there appears to be self-defense, according to the Douglas County Sheriff. This was a Sunday, actually it was Saturday evening, Douglas County coroner identified the deceased as 59-year-old Stan Collins of Littleton, Colorado. They say that uh, he entered a home in the Sterling Ranch subdivision around 6 p.m. Saturday night. 
A uh, caller to 911 reported that uh, Collins had entered that home with a gun. Collins was fatally shot by a person who lives at that home. His deputies were en route. Uh, Collins did not live at the address, but was known to residents of the home, according to the Douglas County Sheriff's Office. The resident involved in the shooting has not been identified. Sheriff's Office says that the uh, shooting does remain an open investigation, but they say charge is not likely to be filed in this case. Uh, they believe it was an act of self-defense. And finally today, our good deed of the day. From Elgin Air Force Base down in Florida, where a uh, captain, Chris Maverin, in the right place, at the right time, wasn't able to do the right thing to save the life of a two-month-old neighbor uh, who was not breathing. On Friday, Captain Maverin uh, received a life-saving award from the Santa Rosa Sheriff's Office in uh, Florida. This was um, a scary moment, obviously. Uh, Maverin uh, found that child uh, non-responsive to uh, to CPR. Uh, he was on the phone with 911, and the attendant told Maverin to tilt the uh, child's head back more to force her airway open. He did that. A few more emergency breaths. The baby opened her eyes, began moving. Uh, after the baby started responding, emergency technicians arrived and took over. Mom and baby ended up going to the emergency room. Maverin and his wife watched over the neighbor's other two children until the uh, father could get home. Uh, deputies later told the captain that the baby was crying at the hospital, a, a clear sign of normal breathing. And again, on Friday, a, a small ceremony held where uh, Captain Chris Maverin receiving that uh, life-saving award from the Santa Rosa Sheriff's Office, again, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Captain Maverin, we thank you, sir, for your very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms. Cam and Company, I want to thank you for being a part of the program as well. Don't forget, you can subscribe to BearingArms.com. All you got to do is go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe, oddly enough. Use the promo code GUNS, get 25% off of your VIP membership. And uh, that VIP membership not only gives you access to exclusive analysis, commentary, and more from BearingArms.com, uh, but it does allow us to do things like bring you Cam and Company each and every day. So we certainly do appreciate your support. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. It's going to look a little different. We're going to try and experiment tomorrow. But we'll still be bringing you the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. In the meantime, be well, be safe, and be free. <laughs>